This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Everyone games. It could be hours spent in front of a console, or a few minutes spent on the subway playing games on your phone, or even just watching others play video games. You could play video games by yourself, or join an online community of gamers. The point is, everyone games. Unfortunately, for a long time, video game developers continue to have a narrow conception of who the ideal gamer is. But then, if everyone games regardless of ability, gaming itself needs to evolve to include everyone. Led by accessibility advocates, the video game industry is gradually starting to implement changes to how video games are formulated, structured, and executed. Today, we discuss accessible gaming. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Juwita Gupta. Today's conversation promises to be a bit of an eye-opener for me. As I was mentioning to Nasreen and as I mentioned to our guests as we were talking before the program, Video games are not my cup of tea. And a big reason why I never got into video games myself is because being legally blind, those games were often, in fact, were pretty much all the time completely inaccessible. So I never really got into it. But I know everyone around me plays video games, enjoys them, and they can while away a lot of time playing video games. My guest today is Brandon Zahan, who is the Senior Program Manager of Accessible Gaming at Microsoft. Hello and welcome to the program. It's good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Can I ask you about how, and you've had almost two decades of experience with accessible gaming, but can you tell us about when and how you got interested in this particular subfield? Because, I mean, 20 years ago, no one was really talking about accessible gaming. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it's definitely not where I planned to be when I was studying in college and whatnot. But um, I had, uh, while I was in college, I had studied uh, American Sign Language interpreting for a while and uh, found it to be fascinating. I made some wonderful friends in the community. Turns out I'm a really bad interpreter. Uh, it's just not something I excel at. So I kind of changed uh, my career tra trajectory and started uh, investigating uh, computer science and ultimately ended up at Microsoft. And then in Xbox in 2002, when we were just starting our Xbox Live service, I came on to assist with that. Um, but you know, it's funny, uh, studying American Sign Language interpreting, I knew about assistive technology. You know, I had a TTY to communicate with my deaf friends and um, I was familiar with uh, you know, video relay services and things like that. But I had never really thought about it from an entertainment perspective other than movies, right? You know, going to a movie uh, with some of my deaf friends was often difficult because if the movie theater at the time didn't have their captioning system working or they didn't have uh, captions for that particular showing, um, it could be challenging. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't until I actually started volunteering at Seattle Children's Hospital and Regional Medical Center um, that this uh, hit me. Now, this was around, you know, 2005. Uh, 2006. And, um, you know, working at Microsoft and working in Xbox uh, kind of conferred a coolness factor, uh, which I was more than willing to uh, play up with the kids when I was trying to get them involved and active in, in events. But um, there was one kiddo in particular. Uh, this is uh, a young lady who had been living in the hospital, living in the hospital for 
over a year. Uh, she had a number of um, medical conditions and uh, she was really down in the dumps. And one day I got assigned to her and they said, hey, you know, let's see if we can get her up and moving or uh, doing some activities. And so I came up and we talked and I, you know, I offered, you know, arts and crafts and I offered, you know, you know, movies and board games. And finally, I just said, you know, hey, how about video games? And uh, she said, no, thanks. And I um, said, well, you know, um, I, you know, I kind of dropped the, oh, yeah, you know, well, I work on Xbox and, uh, uh, you know, I'd love to know, why don't you play video games? You know, what, what you know, what's your, you know, why, why, why don't you enjoy them? And uh, she said, and word for word, she said, uh, because you don't make any I can play. Mm. And that, that was like, oh, it was a slap in the face. And, and not, you know, not, you know, I don't blame her at all. It was, I'm glad I needed that, right? Because I had never thought about it. It had never occurred to me in all my time uh, working there about, you know, that, that there were people with disabilities that weren't able to play the products I was working on. And so, um, you know, I was a, I was a little uh, shell-shocked by that. I, I came home and I, I thought long and hard on that. And I started thinking, well, what if this effect does exist, you know, for games? And so I started doing research and I started looking online for community groups. And slowly over time, I just realized, wow, there wasn't a lot going on in that space. And I just decided that I was going to try to change that. So a lot of people with disabilities will tell you that when things are not accessible, that's not often a deterrent. They often find ways to make things accessible and accommodate themselves. What sort of solutions had gamers with disabilities come up with at around the time that you got involved with accessible gaming to try and make systems that hadn't been designed out of the box to be accessible, something that they could nonetheless work with and be entertained by and enjoy with their friends and family? Or was that just not happening? You know, I have been... Throughout my, my time working with the disability community, I have been constantly impressed by the level of ingenuity and resilience with which the community um, uh, approaches these types of challenges. You know, um, while there wasn't a lot of technological solutions available at that point, people were really, really creative in finding ways to gain. And, you know, whether it was somebody who um, maybe had uh, an amputation or, or only had one hand working. You know, I'd see people holding the controller in really unique ways. You know, uh, imagine taking a standard game controller and flipping it upside down so that you were moving one of the sticks um, uh, against your leg um, and, and, and moving the controller to, to basically create that, that function of moving that one stick and then reaching around with your thumb to grab the other stick. I mean, interesting things like that. Um, I met uh, people who had figured out ways um, in the low and no vision community to um, play certain types of games, particularly fighting games, because the audio cues in those games were so, um, uh, you know, they, they were trying to achieve such realism that mm -hmm. people could basically, you know, play the games based off of these audio cues and whatnot. So um, what I'll say is that people had come up with all sorts of solutions. There were makers out there who were, you know, trying to engineer or hack, um, you know, apart controllers to put together systems that would work better for people with fine motor disabilities. Um, but really, they're just, most of it was just sheer ingenuity from the community itself. There weren't tons and tons of, um, you know, off-the-shelf solutions um, that were available. In fact, there were very, very, very few. Mm. I hope you don't mind. I know this is an overly broad question, but what makes a video game accessible? 
Oh, wow. You know, I, um, I, I like to think of accessibility in this way. You know, anything can present a barrier. It could be a, a physical disability, a bar- a ba- I'm sorry, a barrier to interaction. You know, it could be a, a physical disability. Um, it could be a situational um, circumstance. You know, uh, I remember when I had my uh, first kid and, uh, you know, I'm holding the baby in my lap and I'm trying to play uh, some video games. And I realized I was really having a hard time using my right <laughs> arm, you know, because I've got that, 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 uh, that heavy little one, you know, on, on my arm. Um, you know, you might be outside in uh, sunlight, uh, you know, with your cell phone trying to play a game and, and the glare on your screen is just making it really hard to see what's, what's on the screen. So, you know, when I think about accessibility, I think it's, it's largely about giving people functions and features that help overcome, uh, you know, those types of barriers. And, and I'll always say, you know, that they'll help make it accessible for certain situations, certain circumstances, people with certain disabilities. But I always, you know, caveat that by saying, like, there is no perfectly accessible product, right? We can always do more. We can always do better because um, the variety of situations we can find ourselves in and the variety of um, type, you know, disabilities that people can experience are just so vast and so varied that, um, you know, it's really about, you know, just trying to provide as many features and as possible providing intelligent design, inclusive design um, to make sure that games just are naturally more um, uh, um, uh, uh, useful for people with disabilities. And um, yeah, I mean, that's really, that's the approach I like to take. I, I, you know, um, I try to think rather than about when I sit down to think about how am I going to make a game approachable or I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, accessible rather, I think about it from the perspective of, okay, what are all the different potential circumstances and barriers that are likely to present themselves, that are commonly present themselves, whether it's from the disability side or from the situational side, and then what are things we can do from a design or feature perspective to, to, to help address those. With your caveat in place about things never being universally accessible to everyone and trying to adjust for individual circumstances, all of that is really well said. But I do want to spend a minute or two talking about some of the best practices. You talked earlier in our conversation about game controllers and how people were flipping them upside down to try and make them work. Um, Are there best practices when you come to the design of controllers and game consoles that you think it's important for, for video game developers to be thinking about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, so for example, at Microsoft, we've created something called the Xbox Accessibility Guidelines. Mm-hmm. And these are um, these incredible set of um, best practices that we have derived from years of research um, with our disability community, you know, learnings we've, we've, we've taken from our journey and we've put into suggestions, tips and tricks for game developers and manufacturers to uh, incorporate. And those could be things like, you know, um, appropriate text size to use in uh, a game. Uh, that could be uh, things like the best way to present uh, captions, uh, you know, uh, tricks on avoiding certain types of button combinations, button holds and, and rapid button pressing or providing options to uh, basically automate those features within games for people with disabilities. Um, even recently, we uh, put out a new Xbox accessibility guideline that specifically focuses on mental health 
and how you can make games better for folks um, who are um, experiencing a, a wide uh, array of different types of mental health um, difficulties. So, um, you know, there's tons of different ways, and, and the list is, is, is exhausted. I mean, it's so, there's so many things that can be done. It can actually be a little overwhelming for some, you know, developers, I think, when they're trying to sit down and think about where do we start. So we try really hard to encourage developers, you know, before taking a look at a big list of, of items and trying to tackle them in any piecemeal fashion, we really just encourage people to go out and talk to the disability community, you know, early in development, early in that design process to find out where they think there's going to be challenges, where they think they could um, see potential for improvement and to partner closely with the community over time in addition to using resources like ours to ultimately make the game um, as, as great as it can be for the gaming and disability community. Yeah, I'm curious about this, and you are likely in a better position to answer it because you're more plugged in than I am, but you know, there is a disability community, it is cohesive, it has a shared sense of identity, and there is a gaming community as well in that there are people who love their video games and they um, congregate, especially online with people who share their interests and so on and so forth. How well defined is there, would you say, the disability gaming community is? Are people with disabilities who are interested in gaming actually coming together in quite the same way? Oh, they really are. And honestly, it's one of the best parts about my job. It's also one of the best parts about being a, a gamer with a disability myself, multiple disabilities mm -hmm. actually, is that when I run into challenges, even with my own gaming, when I'm encountering problems because of my sensory processing disorder or my obsessive compulsive disorder or my vestibular um, disorder, I can go out to this community and ask for suggestions. I can, I can uh, put out a tweet and say, hey, Anybody recommend any solutions for this game or anybody know of any great games uh, that work well for, you know, you know, this type of situation. And, and the community is so supportive of one another, you know, for so long, I think, um, you know, accessibility was largely thought about, again, as productivity, right? And, and, and gamers with disabilities were really, you know, struggling to, to get any traction with the industry, but, I've seen over the last, you know, five to seven years, the community has really coalesced um, and come together to to um, advocate for one another, to um, hold companies responsible for um, the accessibility or inaccessibility of their products, and to just, you know, really um, help lift each other up. And, I, and again, you know, it's something that I absolutely love because the best ideas we get for accessibility, um, you know, features or inclusive design, best practices, it all comes from the community. Um, you know, it's a great example of that. Um, you might be familiar with the Xbox Adaptive Controller, which is uh, a product we uh, designed and, and released a number of years ago to aid people with uh, fine motor disabilities. And, you know, that product was built from the ground up from day one with the disability community, not for the disability community. Mm -hmm. And so the more, you know, and that's because we have great partnership with that community and that community has, has really, um, you know, offered to help support us in our journey. So um, I just, I'm really proud of the community. I'm a proud to be a part of it. I'm a proud to have them, um, you know, there to help support and advocate for accessibility. And it's definitely made my job a lot easier. Mm -hmm. One of the things that anyone who's ever trying to make anything accessible will often get told is it's too expensive and it's often for a very small market share. So why should we bother? What would you say to companies who are still sitting on the fence about the importance of making video games accessible? 
Well, first off, I'd like to remind people that I think it's the World Health Organization that says about 15% of the population has a disability, right? Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people think of disability as someone who is blind, someone who is in a wheelchair, someone who is deaf and using ASL. And, and obviously those are types of disability, but there's people um, on the neurodiversity spectrum, people with hearing loss, um, people who have low vision, um, you know, all these different types of disabilities that kind of get, you know, because they're invisible or they're not as apparent, people kind of forget those people are out there and they're playing games. The other thing I like to encourage people to consider is that we are all going to have a disability at some point in our life. Mm -hmm. You know, if you live long enough, you know, mm -hmm. age just takes a toll. I mean, I'm even finding that out now about myself. And so I like to remind people that gamers who were playing back in the 70s and the 80s, they're getting older too, right? They still want to keep playing. It's not like you hit 60 years old and immediately you're like, well, I'm going to give up, uh, you know, a Halo and start playing cribbage instead, <laughs> right? It's, you want to keep doing those things that you love. So we know that accessibility is going to become more and more important to those communities. And therefore, you know, if you want to keep, you know, increasing your market share in a, in a market that is very, very competitive, right? Where, you know, you really need to fight for every gamer, Accessibility is a great way to get that, um, to, you know, that to help, um, you know, drive those additional sales. It's also, again, you know, I, I hate to keep to use the phrase, it's the right thing to do. But I think I will, you know, in the last few years, I think I've seen a social awareness arise around disability, as, as well as other types of inclusive inclusivity, you know, um, the LGBTQIA community and, um, and, and other um, minority communities, you know, people are just, we've become more, I think, socially aware mm -hmm. and uh, of the need to be more inclusive. And so um, we're starting to see, you know, even folks without disabilities um, start to, you know, you know, show their support for the community with their dollars, right? And so, again, I think there's a lot of reasons why um, accessibility is, 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 is good for companies from a bottom line. I think it also just, you know, on a final note, it just makes it better for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. What we know about accessibility is that a lot of people who use accessibility features don't have disabilities. Uh, a great example of that is subtitles, right? I mean, I know so many people who play games or watch movies with the subtitles on, not because they're deaf or hard of hearing, but just because they prefer it that way. Maybe, you know, they don't like, you know, they need to keep the volume down because, you know, the, the kids are sleeping or maybe they're, they've taken their phone out and they're watching a movie on the bus, but they forgot their headphones, right? There are other reasons that people use accessibility features. And so when you go as those people to use that accessibility feature, you've kind of missed it. You forget about it. In fact, um, it was funny, um, years ago, my wife injured her knee and we were in a, a part of the world where accessibility isn't, as um uh hasn't um kind of made as much headway and uh she was having problems getting upstairs and she was like she she mentioned to me she goes i don't realize how often i've taken for granted just having ramps available mm -hmm. but we use them all the time you know roll a cart up or those buttons the ada buttons to open doors like people use them all the time to, for for a variety of reasons maybe your hands are just full People like those features. So when you go and you just expect a feature to be there and it's not, it can be really off-putting. And when we've actually seen that in, in old games that have been re-released, they come out and some of those basic core accessibility features that everyone likes aren't there. And, you know, we've, we've seen developers 
get questioned about that. One of the things I have a question about, and it'll probably be the last one I get to today, is whether you've gotten any pushback from the gamer community itself. Are there times when the pushback has sounded a bit like, but if you put these accessibility features in, if you simplify the games, if you take away, away these levels or you make it possible for people to skip levels, it's going to take away from the vision of the game or the integrity of the game. This game is meant to be challenging, otherwise you're not playing it right. How do you respond to someone who says things like that? Yeah, you know, as, as someone who worked at a game development studio on a on on a major, you know, AAA title, I can tell you that features and functionality and the ability to skip or change difficulty, you know, all that, it doesn't change the creative vision. It, it really doesn't. You know, if I want to have a super ultra nightmare mode in my game and I want that to be the, you know, the default even. I want it to be the hard, the hard, hard experience. That's great, that's, that's great. Uh, if I wanna have achievements tied to that really difficult, crazy um, uh, mode, that, that's fantastic. All we're asking is that give players an option, give players a choice to tone it down a bit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, give players an option to turn on these features. We're not saying, you know, I would never tell anybody in your game, always have closed captions on. Just, just leave them on regardless. No, because there are a lot of people who, A, might not enjoy that, but B, it might actually make the game inaccessible for some people. Uh, mm -hmm. Because especially someone who has, say, you know, on the neurodiversity spectrum and might find them distracting. So it's all about just giving players choice. So we're just asking as a community and as advocates Give players choice. If you don't have to sacrifice your creative vision, you don't have to change the game fundamentally so it's, it's, it's not what you were seeking to create. Um, it's really about just letting people, exp you know, it's, it's like being an artist, right? If, if I created a painting, my goal at least would be, I want as many people to be able to experience that painting as possible. You know, and, and so if that means that I put, you know, I can put it in a gallery, but I could also put it online. I can, I can distribute it, you know, in books. There's lots of different ways I could get people access to it, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing for games. By putting in these features, these functions, I can let more people see the creation that I've put together in the way that's going to work best for them. That gets, that, that, that ultimately, I think, helps me fulfill my artistic vision um, in, a, in a really positive and meaningful way. I would love to fulfill my artistic vision and talk to you for another half an hour. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Brandon, thank you very much for speaking to us today. Oh, it's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Brandon Zahand is Senior Program Manager for Gaming Accessibility at Microsoft. He joined us from his home just outside Seattle. Let me bring in Nasreen Abdul-Majid, who was telling me before we got taping today that she used to be quite a gamer. Hi, Nasreen. Welcome. Hi, thank you. I mean, Brandon really put it out there that it's not only visible disabilities, but invisible disabilities like me who has an autoimmune disease and uh, rheumatoid arthritis, not only, you know, vision loss, experiencing vision loss, but also rheumatoid arthritis where I used to be a gamer as a child. I was one of those kids that was so close to the TV. I mean, an inch close to the TV. You and me and, both. <laughs> yeah. And my parents were like, oh, you're going to make your eyes worse. I mean, I'm like, my vision is already deteriorating. Yeah, it's gone I down think, the drain. You know what you're Yeah, do? <laughs> it's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was one of those kids that um, really dealt with stiffness in my hands so much. Mm -hmm. 
because of the arthritis. So holding the controller did make the pain a lot worse, as many people experience as well. I wanted that accessibility feature not only for my eyesight, but for my arthritis as well. And I wish I wish there was something back then, but I stopped gaming or, you know, game less now because of my past experience with playing games. I used to play games with my siblings all the time, but I always felt a little bit left out because Mm -hmm. I couldn't see it well enough or I couldn't play long enough. That's exactly it, you know, because you find uh, one of the things with gaming is everybody around you is playing these games. He mentioned Halo, and there was a time when everybody I knew was obsessively playing Halo. Mm-hmm. And the closest I ever got to playing Halo was watching other people play it. And I was sitting around and being like, so what's going on on screen? What's going on on screen? So it's a way to get people with disabilities plugged in because, you know, I was thinking, why why am I even doing a show about video games? I mean, people with disabilities have tons of problems, employment, housing, education. Come on, Juwita, you could you could do a show on any of those things. Why video games? And I thought to myself, why not video games? It's a way for mm-hmm. people with disabilities to feel included in the things that everybody else participates in when they don't have to worry about the accessibility of things from video games to technology in general it's about being part of something bigger than yourself and not being that one person who who's sitting around and going halo what's halo you know so i'm really glad that the people are working on improving video game accessibility because i like what he said about universality it's the kind of thing that doesn't just benefit a handful of people it benefits everybody because at some point in your life either you will acquire a disability or you may just find yourself in a situation i really like that he said that this all depends on your situation you might you just find yourself in a temporary situation where you need your video games to be accessible so all i can say is mm-hmm. play on hey nasreen thanks for chatting a little bit about this it was really good chatting with you and i hope you get back into some video game playing um, if that's something that you find interesting and that's something that's fun for you thank you that was nasreen abdul majid who is our technical producer that's all the time we have for today thanks for listening to the pulse here on ami audio on behalf of nasreen abdul majid our technical producer and andy frank who's the manager of ami audio i want to thank you for listening i've been your host juita gupta take care and have a wonderful rest of your day This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.